and and what I love, sorry, Go what I good. love is that now we are broadcasting our own news. We're not relying on these stations that you know are entertainment really at the are end of the day. Continuing to rationalize. Yeah, we're saying no. We are going to tell you what's going on. You know, so that's why I'm like. <laughs> I've always, you know, I've had this like love hate thing with Facebook because I'm like, <laughs> it's su- like it's su- like when yeah. you try to talk to people, like I feel like we've had this, like Joe yeah. and I have had this where we talk past each other. Oh yeah, yeah. And oh, then yeah. we talk and then we're like, oh okay. This happens every every time. Yeah. I mean, every yeah. time me and you have some dumb yeah. disagreement on Facebook, this will even come to mind while it's happening. Like we're just gonna talk in person, and, then it's and like, we're just gonna literally be on the same page. Yeah, like exactly what happened right now. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever our curiosity takes us. On this episode, I am joined by two of my closest friends that have been with Feeding Curiosity since the very beginning. I'm joined by Jordan Chris and Joe Joukowsky. With both of them here, we really dive into making sense of the events over the last few weeks. I opened it with thinking about how the decisions we make will affect not only my life, but the life of my friends and the life of my own children and the children of my friends. And that's really where I'm at with all of this, regardless of where what side you fall on with all of these arguments going around or anything like that. It really falls on what kind of society do we want to live in, regardless of how to solve those problems. And personally, from my own perspective, I see many of these problems as difficult to look at in a systematic way or to solve them on large scale. I mostly turn to the individual. And if people aimed to be as good as they could be with themselves and those around them, then that informs the society we live in. What we really need to do is understand where other people are coming from. We mentioned a couple podcasts here and other ideas such as Daryl Davis on Joe Rogan, which I will have a link in the description and you should watch that podcast. I think him as an example, to understand people who are not like you, or at least give people the benefit of the doubt. And for him, it always stemmed from the question is, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? And I think that's powerful because that's the essence of many of these ideas that have been brought to the surface. And if you just sit down with someone and try to understand them, you realize they're more like you than you would have thought otherwise. They have the same problems that you do and the same worries that you do and the same hopes and the same dreams that you do. Period. (sighs) We also cover some ground understanding the morality and ethics on what it means to be a police officer. And not only just a police officer, but in general. I offer a look at what happened through the eyes of a surgeon's code of ethics provided by Peter Tia and normative error. If you want to look it up, I will provide a link in the description. And I'll also provide a link to that podcast that Peter did with his daughter that I mentioned. 
But beyond this, we're trying to tackle human nature and human psychology. Many of the problems we're facing is that we're having trouble with how our society is structured. The size of our society is so big that we're not capable of understanding or connecting with all of the people around us. And, and what we mentioned there is Dunbar's number. And so we really need to do work on trying to create a better framework to understanding other people in our society who may not be experiencing it as we do, basically. Because there's such a kaleidoscope of ways of living in this country that it's it's really difficult for any one person to understand what it's like to live another person's life. And I guess that should go without saying, but we oversimplify these things and we need to just be more compassionate. And to just wrap up this intro, I would like to say that I, I thought COVID was going to be a wake up call for our society. And honestly, it seems like that's still to be the case. And I mentioned it toward the end of this podcast about thinking about year 2025 and how we work through this, because I think we really do need to start thinking about that because it's not about getting through one day and keeping the foot on the gas now. It's about how do we really think about setting the right step forward for the next decade or further, right? And if we if we put our honest effort now... We have a really good shot of of putting a really good step forward to creating a better society. And so with that, everyone, please enjoy this podcast with Joe Jakowski and Jordan Chris. Well, honestly, I'm really excited to bring both obviously to say names, Joe and Jordan back on the podcast. And in a lot of ways, it's we spent probably the last two weeks just trying to make sense of the crazy world that we're in. It would have been crazy enough just making heads or tails of coronavirus that now is starting to release its grip on the United States. And then all of a sudden on top of that, we had the, the murder of George Floyd and then the uh, riots and protests after that, which wound up being more protest than in riot in, in the aftermath, which is good. But it's just good to have both of you here to kind of make sense of the, this craziness because that's honestly what it feels like we've been lacking in all of this is there's not really anyone you can turn to that just feels like a sense maker right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not no fault of our government system as much as to like them to try and make sense of it because they're doing whatever they can yeah. to kind of do what they can and with so many unknowns in this situation. But I also think having our perspective here as people who are going to be who, whatever decisions we make going forward, we're going to be affected by this the most. And not only to say us personally, but our children and those of our closest friends. Mm -hmm. And the one that I go back to is that our friend is going to have a child in (laughs) like a month at this point. And so going through all this, I kind of had that, really sinking in the back of my head. So with that, I pass it off to you guys. I mean, just the, you talked about our friend having a kid and I just think about that even now as being in effect, like, I don't know the relation relationship between cortisol and pregnancy Uh on the kid's development, but if she's stressed now, right. Already (laughs) implications. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And And it's good. It's it's so it's so chaotic right now, 
everything that has been going on for the last couple of weeks, besides just giving me a headache because of how complicated it is, has has made it so that one one more thing wrong could just be the straw on the camel's back. Yeah. It could just be too much. Yeah. So I think, honestly, the best place to start here before we kind of get into the weeds of the the aftermath of uh, what has happened, I think Jordan is probably best for you to explain your experience at the protests yeah. before they escalated further in Chicago. Yeah. Cause you're the only one that actually went to one of the bigger probably protests when yeah. it first happened. So I guess I'll start by saying, I'm glad I went is one of the, it's something that I'll never soon forget. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just the feeling like, I don't want to say appreh- apprehension, but it was like, I don't know. Like you just have people saying like, Hey, I'm going to the protest. Like telling my dad that telling Alex that, and uh, one of my friends, Paris and every, like a lot of people are like, Oh really? And kind of like, it might get crazy there. And I'm like, my thinking before it was like, why would it get crazy? No, it's not like this is a message that needs to be said. Mm -hmm. And you know, these voices need to be heard and it's coming from a good place. Why would it go wrong? So it was like all of that at the same time. And I remember being like a little nervous, but still like, no, this there's no way this will be twisted Mm -hmm. because that's just, and everyone sees this. And I know you guys watched the video, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Like that, uh, that was one of the most uncomfortable thing. like i don't know that was so hard to watch like i paused it several times and i was like i want to turn it off but then yeah what brought me to it was like no someone lived through this or i mean ended up losing their life from it but i was like they experienced this like i should watch it you know what i mean that yeah. got me through it so all of that going around and then finally you know i'm downtown chicago and i get dropped off however many blocks away and uh, i'm walking towards where i forget what the streets were but whatever it was i was walking like towards where the the mass congregation was of the protest at the time i was like right when it started like like 2 30 ish so i'm walking there and it's like empowering and i hear people like they're wearing their you know black lives matter shirts and like everyone has their fists up and there's Mm -hmm. people like all through the streets you know like outside of their cars like honking and like they have signs up and just this feeling and like people walking past me, like, you know, putting their hand on my shoulder, like, yeah, we're together, man. And I'm like, like tearing up, like legit. Like, yeah, now I'm like, I can still feel that emotion. I'm like, this is what it's about. You know what I mean? You know, I don't. I also thought too, that you you showed me the picture afterwards that you were showing the cops, but you were on your notes on your phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was way after, after that. But uh, I'll get, I guess I'll get there. I'll I'll speak through this, but like, you know, at, at a certain point, like it was that and it was empowering. And then I can kind of feel the shift mm-hmm. happening. And it was like, we started making our way towards Trump tower. And I don't know, there was like a lot of different crowds. So I don't know like hmm. which ones were going where, but the crowd I was in made its way towards Trump tower and like got there, got over the bridge and were like on the stair steps of Trump tower. And there was like police all around it. And they were like, you're not obviously that would be where a lot of people are like, you're not getting up here because this is obviously where you guys would want to go. Hmm. If people are going to fuck shit up, like just making sense of it. Right. So during that time, I can, that's when I started feeling this shift. I was like, no, this is, it's changing from necessarily being empowering, which it still was, but there was like ulterior motives there. And I think some people were there that didn't, that weren't part of the empowering message that really just wanted to watch things burn. watch the world burn not to make a joker reference but like that's kind of the the idea that i felt mm-hmm. and i was like this isn't the same thing so at that point i had uh wrote a note in my phone 
and it said, I'm trying to remember what it said specifically. It said like, we don't hate you. And like, thank you for all you do or something like that. Not verbatim, but basically that's what it said. And I was like, I'm just going to go up to, you know, cops in their cars and show them that. Cause it's not the point of this. Isn't to say like, like fuck every cop. That's not, that's not the point now to get, now, if you think of how people are, yeah, if you want to get a point across, you kind of have to be rash and you have to, you know, make right. You have to make a message somehow. Yeah. So you kind of have to say, well, fuck all cops. Because if you just say, well, well, no, it's not fuck all cops, but like just fuck these few. And then like, you, you know, people are like, OK, whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't grab atten- it's not attention grabbing. You know what I mean? So that's just. Yeah. I mean, if you think that's it's really wrong to say this, but it's kind of just how entertainment works and you kind of mm-hmm. have to be entertaining whether it's negative, positive, or somewhere weirdly in between to get people to be like, oh, yeah, that's something I should be paying attention to. Yeah. To do that. So I was going up to these cops saying, like, yeah, we don't hate you personally yourself. Like, that's not what this is about. And there's at one point, like, cops in their, you know, almost trapped in a way in their cars. You know what I mean? And, yeah. like, you know, people around them. And I walked up to them and this was like, you know, had my hands up to make sure they didn't think I was about to do yeah. some shit <laughs> but like had my hands up with the phone out and i like pointed to the phone and at first the cop like looked and like kind of waved me off like probably thought i was telling him like fuck you like he was gonna look at it and it was gonna be something yes yeah, and the snarky you know what i mean <laughs> um, but i was like no like look and then he like looked and like looked away and then like looked back and then was like like he did like a prayer motion <laughs> and like gave me thumbs up and was like like mouth thank you yeah and i was like yeah like this is the energy that needs to be here it needs to be we're making a stand and we're letting you know we're going to be heard. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not a personal attack against any one person. It's yeah. big. It's way bigger than that. And to the point where, like, you know, moving forward, I was actually speaking with the cop. Like, they had a barricade set up. Mm-hmm. And there are people, you know, trying to, you know, there's some people defending, like, that had a line and they're, you know, locking arms in front of these cops. Like, because there's people trying to throw shit and, like, get through and just, like, do I'll whatever. Be- yeah. Like, whatever it is they wanted to do. And I had stopped and was talking to this cop and we're, you know, I don't remember what I was saying, but I was just like, yeah, like, I don't know, it's crazy. Like, I hate the environment that we have to be in, that it has to be this way, but it is what it is. And this is the reality that we live in and you can't look past it. Like, it's kind of mm-hmm. what I was saying. And he was like, going, like, yeah, I understand. Like, you know, we don't condone the actions of our lesser colleagues or whatever. Right. And yeah. at this point, like, I see something in the corner of my eye and I turn and I get hit in the face with a water bottle. And then the water bottles open and sprays all over the cops. And he's like, get that, get, get her, get her. And I look at him and I'm like, yeah, honestly, dude, I just have to say, I'm sorry. Like, that's not what this is supposed to come to. Right. We're supposed to come to understanding. And he was like, no, thank you. Like, I hear you and I understand. And we shook hands. Hmm. So, yeah. And then after that, I was like, yeah, it's time for me to get out of here. Right. I was like, it's just turning. Because like, this is going to keep escalating into yeah. more and more dangerous territory. Yeah. And then you see what happened afterwards. <sighs> I mean, just the aftermath was was crazy. You know, I I went to bed that night just thinking about the protests and then woke up the next morning and just saw it, you know, just the damage all up and down downtown Chicago. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what happened? You know, (laughs) this is so crazy to just see. I mean, just just for me, like, I understand that this may be insensitive to, to other people, but it's like just to cause more pain after already so much pain has been caused it's not it's just the wrong way to keep going about it it's like we just can't keep the cycle continuing because it just builds more resentment for both sides not even just 
in respect to what was caused because of George Floyd, but just in ten, terms of this, the the animosity between protester and police. Mm-hmm. Because if if the presumption is made on both sides that it's going to be a confrontation, then the de- chance of de-escalating that go lower and lower just as a prerequisite. Yeah. And you enter the situation differently. Yes. If you if you're going to a club, let's just say, like say, hey, we're going out tonight. And they're like, hey, by the way, there's someone here who has been saying they're going to, they wanted to fight you for years. Yeah. They're going to be there. You're going to approach going there hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. You might d- avoid going all together. Or you if might, you're smart, right? <laughs> right. Which would be probably the wisest. Or you might go there and be like, all right, there's a good chance I'm like, shit's going to go down. Yeah. You know what I mean? You approach it differently versus like, yeah, we're just going to go out and have a good time. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's a whole different scenario, and I think that's... I think it's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. <laughs> there's, I mean, this has been going on for years, and, like, I, I don't even know how to word this right, but it's, like, the the what happened with George Floyd opened a lot of eyes, mm-hmm. but there's been hundreds of thousands of George Floyds. You know what I mean? Like, this has been going on forever, literally, like, since the dawn of America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's been, like, these unrighteous things. So it's, like, yes, it's good that this... Not good. You wish it was under different circumstances. But for the sake of conversation, it's good that it was able to open people's eyes. But now when you get these protesters, you know, and these things that are happening and, like, people are rising up, coming together against it, you're coming to it as if you're going to a club where someone's ready to fight you. And these cops are like, well, these people don't like us. And, and at the same time, we're like, well, we're out here peacefully processing, but we might be doing that and then got, might get pepper sprayed right. or tased. Like you know you're twisting mean? the message for your own purposes at this point. Right. So it's, it's, it sucks. It really does suck, but, and it's so convoluted. Yeah. But it's just where we're at and it's almost a necessary, like a necessary evil. Not that I'm condoning anything. Yeah. But it's like, what do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost, that's how you have to look at well, it. Well, the, the reason, too, I bring this up, and I, I say this on purpose, but it's like a lot of these people on both side, sides of this that want to overly simplify either side, they're like, oh, well, that person is just an anarchist or that person is just an authoritarian and, and or a fascist or whatever, choose your flavor of word that people wind up saying. And... You know, both of you guys served in the military, obviously in different branches, but you guys know what it's like to serve in an authoritarian system or a very hierarchical system that's very rigid on chains of command. And does that make that system flawed at its core? Mm, I'd say there's consequences to that. I don't know. And I don't know if it makes it flawed per se, because there's at least in the military and probably even in the, in the police, I let know less about that. It's necessary that it's a hierarchical ordered system. Mm -hmm. And in part it's a, it's, there's a historical precedent for this that goes back to Rome, which is that their kind of thinking was that war is total chaos, Uh that it is so chaotic that it is almost impossible not to be swept in the chaos. And so you create a culture of hyper order so that it can survive the chaos. 
it's like building a statue up against the water. It better be durable or in a no time flat, it's going to be totally withered away. It needs to be able to withstand the pressure. Mm-hmm. And so military culture is that hyper order. It is everyone has a rank. You go by last names. You're not an individual in some sense. Mm-hmm. You all need to be on the same page. There's all the debate is about who's who and what you want and what you want needs to be out the window yeah. when the shit hits the fan. Yeah. And one consequence of that is positive, which is that, which is that a lot of the things that don't matter really do get just thrown off to the, the side. Like I saw people who by all means should have totally should have did, wouldn't get along all come together because there's just more important things to do. and that's encouraging and acts like conflict resolution like in psychology one of the ways they deal with conflict resolution is they literally take two groups or people who are uh, opposing each other and then they put them in a situation where they have to work towards a common goal and that helps them come together because now they're on the same page they're doing the same thing they get that they can work with each other because they're moving in the same direction Mm -hmm. so that same thing happens in the military and that's really positive. And I've seen a ton of really cool things. I've seen that reverberate into the veteran community at the university I'm at. But the negative thing is that there's a price to pay to get that amount of order. Yeah. And it can be rough. I mean, nobody thinks boot camp is like, you know, picking Fun. roses, man. <laughs> You're not hanging out and like kicking it with your boys. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> so there's prices to pay. Yeah. And sometimes that what it requires to become that kind of person is a rigid, hard, uh, callous type of personality that bleeds into uh, time beyond just training. Yeah. And so I'll see on the more authoritarian end of either the police or in the military, that coercive personality manifesting again. And so it's, and I think that personality exists to create order when it's necessary, but when it's not necessary, it's just empty coercion. Yeah. And that's where it looks like brutality. Right. And it, well, then well, it, and it's, wor- it's worse, it's worse right? Because yeah, you can be coercive and still be justified. But there becomes like if somebody's totally misbehaving or, or imagine a guy at the bar who's super drunk and is harassing a chick. Well, when you go up to him and you like push him or get him away, right, that's coercive, but it's absolutely justified. Right. Right. Yeah. So there, there's coercion that's necessary at times. But if the situation doesn't demand for it and that coercion remains present, then that's a real problem, right. I think. Yeah. No, and so the police brutality is like the extreme end of that, right? It's, yeah. it's we need to instill order. And you're seeing clips like this all over the internet right now. Oh, yeah. It's protests and, and it really, and even in the riots. It's and like, through the history now of whatever they've captured that never saw the light of day. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of it and people have, I'm, I'm sure it's burned into people's memory at certain points. Mm-hmm. But these moments where it's like the situation we're in is more disorderly than we need is chaotic and even dangerous. And so that coercive personality emerges to contend with the disorder. And then it almost swallows up some people 
like maybe it's necessary for cops to in a dangerous environment and disorderly environment to be like puffed up and assertive and moving forward right so that they're sending the message like you time to leave when it is but that doesn't mean that when when a, when somebody approaches or isn't easily acquiescing to the requests that their immediate response should be a level 10 no. when the when the the disagreement is like a level 3 right right and i think that's one of the biggest things and i mean all three of us are speaking from the outside and none of us are cops here yeah mm-hmm. um but i went to school to be a cop so i know plenty and i have friends cpd you know what i mean that were texting me when i was at the protest and they're like hey be careful blah 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 and like we had our discussions and stuff but i just there's a there's a line where that you know that coercion might be necessary Mm -hmm. but to do that profession i feel like you need someone who can fall in line but at the same time understand when i need to pull back yeah yeah and there's not enough of that you know there's it's to be honest it's way too easy to be a cop it's way too easy that should be one of the hardest professions to get into yeah i think it shouldn't be something yeah, easy like, to become a cop yeah. yeah not necessarily easy to be a cop become one sorry yeah 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 and you need people who can you know be in these super high stress situations where you might need to puff up and be like okay everyone we have it's time to disperse get out you know what right I mean? like now this has turned it into something different right you, and now the, it's not a protest now it's <laughs> right and like so you need those people who can do that but at the same time if it you know, like, the, I don't remember what city it was in, but you know, a 70-plus-year-old man yeah. comes up to you and you push him over where he now has brain damage. Is yeah. Are you really enforcing anything at that point? No. Yeah. You know, who knows that there's ulterior motives there? It's hard to say. I and mean, in a lot of these situations, it might be hard to say, but at the same time, you need to be able to look at a situation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what breeds the best sol- soldiers, I can say, mm-hmm. or... You know, even isn't in the military that's cops. basically called like situational awareness. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's and it's really it's what it really looks like to me is a, it's just forget even like situational awareness as like as a self-contained noun that right. we use to define some military specific thing, but it really is awareness. Yeah. Just period. It's <laughs> just being able to not get caught in it and to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll react to this in one way. I can react to this. And it's like a certain level of wisdom that's necessary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is part of why I wanted to make the differentiation between becoming a cop and being a cop is that to be a cop, you it is so hard mm-hmm. in part because just having that awareness, I'm really cynical about it. I think it's nearly impossible. Yeah. Then most people, like 99.9% of people, are not going to be there. Right. And it's not even their fault. This isn't me putting blame on whoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this goes both ways, right? Yeah, maybe I'm sounds like I'm defending the cops, but I, the same thing could be applied to defending rioters. Is that mm-hmm. when the current shifts right. and you are so deep in, it's hard to do anything at all. Right. I think about, as an analogy, when I was in California, we were – we were at one of the few beaches in California that you could drink on. It was in Camp Hamilton, where I was stationed. Mm-hmm. So we were drinking, hanging out. Woohoo, it's a good old time. And we go out 
into the ocean and it's a particularly wavy day, right? They're huge. I mean, they might have been like eight, 10 feet waves. Wow. Right? Jesus. And we were stupid. So, so we're like, let's go out as far as we can. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> so we get out pretty far. And then as we're trying to come back in, it gets to the point where you can't really swim in because it would, where the waves would get pulled out would become too shallow. More. Yeah. Yeah. And the current pulling out was so damn strong. I couldn't even walk against it. I couldn't do anything. I'd be stuck in one place. Oh, and then these 10 foot waves would come over, bang, and just crush me. And I just tumble, 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 tumble. And then oh, get back out. And then it was like, try to get to shore, try to get to shore. And I can't move. And it was literally, I couldn't move. I didn't go anywhere. It was just like pure exertion and just really just catching my breath right before getting demolished again. Just bang, bang, bang. And it was getting to the point where I was like, I don't have any more energy. I was like, I'm going to drown. Like, I'm probably going to fucking drown here. Now I got real lucky. I got real lucky because basically I just ended up drifting sideways and oh. moving in and got out of where that pole was so strong and got into shore. And there was like a lifeguard out there yelling at all of us. She's like, you can't go in that. <laughs> you asked not this thing. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. I like, I was totally, when I made to shore, I was totally at ease. I was like, don't care. <laughs> like, I'm I, just not dead. <laughs> I was like, I walked back. It was the most relaxing moment I can think of my entire life. I literally got back to this little, like, lawn chair they had set up with this little, like, cabana thing overhead. I cracked open a beer, and I sat there, and I just looked out of the ocean. I was like, <sighs> <laughs> nothing's wrong now. <laughs> but it was like, that's what it's like to be in those situations. Yeah. You're even willfully charging in one direction, fighting with everything that you have and you're probably still going to drown to be a cop is to risk drowning to put yourself forget to put yourself in a situation to be a cop is to risk worth drowning or to risk drowning to put yourself in a situation where there's a riot is to risk drowning the current beat the social current the it's like the environment demands it of you the ocean yeah. is pulling you out it's made its decision and you can't do jack shit yeah. as far as it's concerned like your individuality in this situation means nothing. Yeah. You are just being ripped apart by the current. And most people don't have the awareness to swim sideways. I didn't. You got lucky. I got fucking lucky. I just kind of ended up doing it. I, it wasn't intentional. But I think that's a good point too. And kind of going back to what Jordan was saying with the the old man that got pushed over and was bleeding out yeah. of his ear. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of people make comments on that video and share that video again. But the one thing they don't mention which we mentioned, we didn't say it because we already passed it in our previous conversation, was that one of the cops that was close to the old man right after he got knocked over went to like go mm -hmm. check on him. And the other cop pulls him violently by the shoulder and keeps him walking in formation. Right. And that right there, that's a that's the moment of that awareness mm -hmm. where that that one SWAT officer knew better. He knew what just happened and went against every instinct to be part of that tribe, right? Because that's mm -hmm. what serving in the military is he went against the instinct of his tribe to care about another human who just unluckily enough got in the way no you know right right from wrong age difference here no matter who you were in that situation you would have got bulldozed right and you could even steel man it for the cop i'm not saying this is the case but you could look we could divorce it from that situation so just, just think of it as a hypothetical yes like that cop could have just been like, I didn't think I was going to knock him over. Like, Jesus, like, yeah. you, it was a 70 year old man. The guy, right. I, he could slip in the bathtub. You know what I mean? Like, it's not an excuse for the thing. No. But it's like, it shows that even 
decent people, you could imagine yourself <clears throat> being in that cop's shoes and that same thing happening to you. Right. Right. And it's like when things get chaotic, they get chaotic down to the thing down to the second. It's not just you can't predict what's going to happen over the next month. I mean, we th- we talk about how you should have a five-year plan for your life, right? What, you, what are you going to do in five years? Welcome to this interview. Let me ask you this question that you're supposed to – everyone's supposed to just have a two-minute speech about. <laughs> but when things get chaotic, you can't even predict the next second. No. And so being that cop or being a protester or in a, when things start to turn – you will do something and then watch something you didn't expect or predict happen in the next second. And I can imagine being that cop and pushing that guy and going, oh, shit. Right. Now, that's a totally separate thing from this Derek Chauvin guy. Yeah. Yes. That's totally we're, different. We're not even <laughs> defending well, anything. I, I, would, I would love to pick him apart like, on here, but I think we should get to that. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely I, probably get there. I will say, I think there's two sides you can look at that at. One side is where's the remorse? Mm-hmm. Normal, even, I mean, I don't know. I haven't been in many chaotic situations, so I'm speaking speculatively, but I feel like if you did something, and we're all, you know, well minded people here, right? <laughs> if you do something and you know you fucked up, there's a yeah. level of remorse that you have. And when you realize it, and you're like, yeah shit yeah you're not gonna sleep well like at the very simplest level (laughs) yeah like you know you you know you did wrong yeah so that's one side and a lot of these things there's too much no remorse it's too much like well you know well i did it because of this and like excusing it i'm like people that come into defense like you're trying to absolve yourself of your mistake when it would be better and serve probably more to just admit uh, I probably made yeah, a mistake. It's like, it's like defensive self-protection. Yeah, kinda, it's like yeah. a mechanism that just yeah. is a part of the culture that's like, no, I'm always in the right because my job is hard. No, mm. that's not how you should look at it. The other mm-hmm. side that I'm thinking of, going back to your the tides analogy, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, everyday everyday Joe's not... Hey. No <laughs> <laughs> but everyday people, you know, like us, might be in that situation, but holy shit, and, you know, just get swept aside and get lucky. Yeah. But maybe in those situations, we need a Michael Phelps. Yeah. Who can look at it, you know, mm-hmm. to be a cop. You might need someone who's like, no, I know how to get yeah. out of this situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why I think there needs to be, it needs to be harder to become a cop. You need yeah. a Michael Phelps, Phelps in that situation to say, I know how to get out of the situation. I know what the right and wrong thing to do here is, and yeah. I can easily differentiate the yep. two and not push over this old man and then pull someone who's trying to help yeah. him back and yep. say fall in line exactly you know what i mean that is where i was a terrible soldier because i would have been like you let go of me that's right. wrong. like you're seeing like, an old man you know bleeding I mean? out of his ears mm. i mean it doesn't yeah. matter who it is right right <laughs> like it, it just makes it worse because it puts it in more stark contrast that it is an old man right and i don't know the culture but i know there is a real code of silence and one of my past coworkers, we shared this. I don't want to say his name, but uh, we shared the same coworker. But uh, he, you know, told me he's like, there is a real that's real, and that's part of the reason why he left where he worked is because he tried to bring something up to one of his superiors, and they just swept it under the rug. And he was like, I don't want to be a part of that if I can't call out someone for doing something wrong mm-hmm. because now I'm now you have to buy into it. You either buy into it or you're gonna hate yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I'm like, that shouldn't be you. 
that's a job where you should want to hold people accountable. You know what I mean? And be like, you need no, to man. Like, like that was, you can't push people over like that, dude. Like, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like people look to us to help them. We can't be the, <laughs> we can't have this image of the opposite. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, one of the best examples I, I heard to kind of help steer this discussion of like, how do you, you know, help people make better decisions or at least weed out people who are not going to adhere uh, adhere to a higher standard of operation was within the surgeon code of ethics. You guys both know that I listened to a former surgeon, Peter Tia, and he had a, like a 20 minute discussion with his, I believe 11 year old daughter. And I don't even know how to comprehend having a kind of conversation around racism and the aftermath to an 11 year old. And just to get her raw take on like, how could someone do something like that because of the color of their skin? She just didn't comprehend it. And I think that's part of, to me, it's hopeful for the future because that non-comprehension from a child is what we should strive for. Cause it shouldn't matter. Like it shouldn't even be part of their dictionary to, to have to even consider these things. And Peter shared a story of his, of him being pulled off his bike while on campus one time because he's Egyptian. He's slightly darker, like olive toned, like Mediterranean. And so he was kind of a little profiled in, even in Southern California by a cop. And that was probably in like the eighties or something like that. It's really bad in the eighties, but right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like, but still even like, even him, like you wouldn't consider him to be dark skinned, mm-hmm. but then he went on to describe at least in his view, how surgeons are trained. And there's like three types of errors you can do. Technical, I can't remember the other one, but the one that he really highlighted was normative errors, which are these errors that you create or that you make that are kind of like little white lies where you kind of brush away a consequence of a procedure. Like you take a riskier procedure because you think it'll solve something and then it goes wrong. And then you don't hold yourself accountable for it going wrong. Mm-hmm. Or you prescribe a, a, a drug that has complications, but you do it anyways because it gives you bigger kickback. Right. Things like that. Hmm. And so what he was saying is, though, is that these normative errors, no matter how small they are at beginning, they will only ever escalate. They never de-escalate. So these are just character flaws in who you are as a human being. And I'm sorry to say that, but there's just... Some things that you just can't, like, you just you won't be able to learn, unfortunately. And so these kind of people, the reason that's why med school takes so long is when you're in clinicals and you're doing these things, if you, any three of these, any of these errors that you make, and if you're not learning from yourself, you're out. You're just, you're just out because you just don't have what it takes to be a surgeon, period. And I think if we can figure out a way to implement these type of error and ethical models to a police officer and say, you've done this too many times, I'm sorry, but you're out or just improve the onboarding process to, you know, have them being shadowed by a cop with, you know, 10 years of experience and you're partnered with him for three years. And he's, I don't know how you do this, but I'm just throwing it out there, but something like that, where it's like, he, he's already passed the standard and then, you have to, he's not analyzing your model, but like keeping you in line and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't have done that. You know, hey, that was a little too forceful, whatever it is. Yeah. 
I don't, you know, it's never good for other people, especially in the same field, to be checking each other like that. It doesn't feel good to be put under a microscope, but like we just need to have just accountability and an ethical slash moral model with these people who have given power. I mean, you're holding a firearm when majority of people don't. That's, I think that's really, I think right now the moral element is what has our culture in flux Mm -hmm. because we're not sure how broad right and wrong go. It's as Mm -hmm. if for the bad cop that's silent on these issues, that what's good is what's good for my in group, right? My fellow policemen. And what's moral, morally good is what is good for them. And so when the outsider confronts them about misgivings or deeds, we raise our shields, form a phalanx, and protect them. Because that is good morally. And then you see the same thing happening. From the police response. <laughs> well, I would say that's with in the police yeah, that's and right then now. like it's it's opposite right because I, I like to try to balance things because i see this as psychological yeah that good and evil are products of humanity yeah and that insofar as they are that means that wherever humanity is present there's both good and evil and so the idea that just one side of an issue is going to be all good or evil Makes no sense to me. I'm like, do you have people present on both sides? And both of those are present in people. So this this whole thing seems seems silly. So it's like, so where's where's the equivalent on the other side? Mm-hmm. So we have protesters or rioters, and I can see some rioters. I don't know if I see this in protesters because there's a. It's not to say that these are mutually exclusive categories. You can have protesters that can become rioters, but generally, fine. Yeah, we'll hold these Broad categories. Strokes. Yeah. <laughs> You have the rioters who it's almost like for some, there's an even worse group amongst the rioters. But for some, it's almost like what is good for black people in this case is what is good. And so there's almost no conception of what would be good for everyone. Yeah, like the broader populace, basically. Like I saw a conversation with Daryl Davis, who's the man who – Converted isn't the right word. Ended, the best one I saw was ended 200 over or at least 200 KKK memberships. Right. So he had a bunch of people. He kept meeting up with people in the KKK and essentially just by hanging out with them and like getting to know them and like showing them. The guy's a saint. He's like a human the, being. The guy's a saint. He's amazing. He's undescribable. But <laughs> keep going. Finish your point. But right. Jesus. <laughs> Jordan, you your imagine? face was amazing. Because. I, it's something that even I can think about it for days and I will never comprehend that, but just, yeah, (laughs) I love being able to do that. Oh my God. The patience. (laughs) How the fuck? (laughs) Like what? I mean, it's so easy to write someone off who just doesn't like just, just from natural human response, right? Like that person is not going to like you because you're a certain color and it's so easy to be like, well, if you're not going to like me because of that, fuck you then. Like, natural human reaction totally warranted in that situation. But instead, he's like, 
you know what? I think I'm going to actually just talk to him for really long periods of time. He just wants to understand. <laughs> it's so amazing. What I like about his story, sorry to cut you off, no, that, is that music is what bridged that was the initial mm. connection. And I'm that's like, a good point. That is awesome. Like music bridges so many things. Cause that's he, why cause he called them important. and said, Hey, come watch me. Come watch me play. Hey, you should come see this guy play. This guy's really good. I know we don't like him typically, but he can play the piano. Like whatever the, the, the guy's name was that they were referring to, but what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it's, it's really uncomprehensible for me. Like I can never, imagine what it would be like to be like yeah these like god i can't put into words it's yeah. just nuts <laughs> it's really just it's like, so it's so crazy yeah. <laughs> it's like how and i mean the yeah. crazy thing too is that the fact that those people that he's helped end their that thinking for them gave away he's like well i don't believe in this so you can have my hood and yeah. it's like it's like his token for them seeing the error in their ways, they hand it off to him as like a relic of a, like shedding that identity. Skin, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. damn, that is, I don't, I don't even know. I'm like getting goosebumps thinking about that. Just to, just to be able to. It's really, it's so encouraging. I get a really little, is. like when I think about it, I kind of get a little emotional. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, how'd you do this? <laughs> like, I honestly thought he was like, when I heard this story, I was like, he must be like a Candace Owens where he's like, mm-hmm. just like, no, like just completely like barging down your throat reality that's out there yeah. and just being like, you know what? No, like it's, <laughs> you know, we're just playing victim. Like, shut up. Like, that's not what it is. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> like just, so that's what I thought. This oh, like was. pandering to their beliefs. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, no reason. Like, duh, they liked him because he, I thought he was like feeding into it, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And I'm like, well, so I never cared. I was just like, I don't want to hear the story. Because, I mean, I guess I was doing the same thing that he was blaming himself for doing when the sound happened. He said yeah. there was, like, uh, the ice shipped uh, in the cans. Yeah. Yep. When he was and on, everyone was on edge. <laughs> yeah, everyone was on edge. And I guess to a little backstory, he's meeting with one of the leaders. I think he was a KKK. grand dragon or yeah, something like that. Yeah, Some whatever. ridiculous fucking Yeah, names. I know. Their titles yeah, are so like, hilarious. Yeah, everyone should go that's listening. Go watch that watch go listen to you can watch it too it's on it's it's on youtube too oh okay it's joe rogan watch slash listen to that uh podcast with joe rogan with daryl daryl davis daryl davis um we'll have a link in the show notes for sure yeah that was awesome but at a point of it he's telling the story of how he met with one of the leaders of a specific kkk group yeah and you know obviously there's high he's a you know black male and there's a you know obviously high tensions and this guy he's speaking to has his bodyguard with a gun next Mm. to him and like just Obviously, you can imagine tensions are high. Mm-hmm. And as they're speaking, like ice and the ice machine shifts cans and there's a noise and everyone's like tensed up. Like, what? What was that? Like, and everyone's freaking out. <laughs> and then there's a lady there and she's like, oh, nope, that's what it was. And like explains what it was. And they're like, oh, OK, that's all it was. But he made the note to say, like, I made a judgment to say, like, he was going to do whatever, do something yeah. to him. You know what I mean? And that's I realized that's what I did to Daryl Davis was assuming that since he was meeting with these people, he must have been buying into their ideologies for them to even sit with him. Yeah. And so I wrote him off before I even listened to it. And then I was like, okay, let me just listen to this. And I was like, no, this is just a genuine dude. Yeah. Who just was like transcending. He just balls of steel. Seriously. (laughs) I mean, oh my God. I thought too that when he, when he said like the, the question he'd formed was like, how can someone hate me if they don't even know me? And I just think, I honestly think that just kind of cuts through all of the things that we're dealing with right now. Right. Because that question has nothing, it's, 
it, yes, it's rooted in race for him, mm-hmm. but it's rooted in in all of our experiences. There's people all throughout our lives that that assume something about you mm-hmm. when in reality they never took the time to get to know you. And this, right. so this is, and I'll yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what that I think that question is so important because that question transcends race itself. Right. Because the person is so much more than the color of their skin. And this used to, this should be obvious. Well, that was like the Martin Luther King part of this. Right. Or at least in part of the, I have have a dream dream speech. Right. But it's like, and I've thought about this and I'm not, I don't know if I'm there yet exactly, but the thought came to mind at least that it was like, I noticed that when people really piss me off, what the only thing that could really that I could really be relaxed with where when I met with them again I could be clear headed that I could kind of have it under the bridge not forget it but like really kind of forgive it in some personal sense mm-hmm. not to say that I wouldn't advocate for justice if somebody was acting abhorrently but to not have a personal stake in it that that state could only be achieved for me when I really understood the person. And so the way I think about it is, or try to, aspire to, is that if I hate somebody, it's because I don't know them well enough. And that very often, Mm -hmm. the thing that's driving me crazy about what they're doing is the result of of some understandable pain. And that very often... They're doing something that you hate in yourself. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. To some degree. Or at least... Yes, insofar as that I can like imagine that they're being... That they're just hurt. Yeah. And then they're reacting out. And I can see in myself that when I'm hurt, I react. Maybe I react in a very much less insane way or less more volatile way. Yeah. Fine. It exists, right? We're all human beings. It's not a stretch to say that we all have a certain amount of behaviors that we all act out. So I saw this Daryl Davis video of him talking with some of the organizers of a black lives matter movement in Baltimore handful of years ago. Before this. Yeah. And it went so bad. Really? I was like, holy fuck. Because, and to pull back the original point I was trying to make there, was that you can see that same kind of good for this community is what defines what's morally good, period. And the people he was talking to, there's three men that went the fuck after him. And one of which at least said that who gives a shit about you collecting these people's hoods? He's like, you weren't out there saving our race. Like you weren't out there doing, helping us. You were helping them. And one guy, the oldest of them, (laughs) almost from his generation, even told him, he's like, if you ever come back to Baltimore again, he's like, don't do it. Don't come back to Baltimore ever again. And I was like, whoa, that went. So you can have that same kind of closed 
in-group thinking wherever people are. Mm -hmm. It's a psychological problem. Mm -hmm. Not actually, it's a, it's a neurological problem. Your brain actually can't track more than like 150 people. It's called Dunbar's number. Yeah. And then after that, things get weird to connect it to something even deeper than that. Chimps do the same thing. They have a Dunbar's number. It's less than ours because their neocortex is smaller, which is correlated with the number. But it's just the number of social interactions you can track. And when chimps do it, chimps will form tribes, troops, right? Just like we have. But they'll get to the point where they can't process everyone in the tribe. It splits off into two. And that two different separate tribes. And even chimps that used to like groom and be friends with each other will fucking rip each other to shreds. Oh my God. Unbearably violently. They will <laughs> literally skin each other. And it's wow. like, it's like, now I can't keep track of you. You're the other. You're a danger. It's over. You're coming after my resources. Mm-hmm. Same territory, that kind of stuff. Yep. And that what humanity has been able to do because we became conscious and could create culture is create in groups based on ideals instead of just the number that I can track neurologically. Yeah. So long as we all agree on some basic principles and we're all moving in the same direction, we're all on the same team. Like we might be like, think of those Viking ships with the boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Everybody's rowing together and guy in seat fucking one up in the front of the top right and seat in like 10 on the left side can hate each other's guts. But as long as they're all rowing in the same direction, fine, screw it. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're cooperating well enough. As long as they're not killing each other. <laughs> right. And it's the same thing in the military again. Yeah. You have this common objective. Screw it. Good enough. I don't ha- I don't even have to like you as a person. But if we are going in the same direction, we're good. Yeah. Right? But what I see happening, a danger of what's happening, is that we are too without a broad moral structure that we all agree on. Yeah. A common ideal that we all agree on as an entire as fact as a civilization, as, like a, West, as like the a, Western civilization. Like a North Star to point us right. in the right direction. So we can be coming at that North Star from everywhere. But as long as we're Going heading towards it, then <laughs> we can literally take all of the West under a common banner. Yeah. If we don't have that, it fractures. And then you just have people redefining what's good all over the place. To that point, I feel like I don't know. So, when I when I hear like what happened with the Daryl Davis thing, yeah. which is nuts, but I almost I I just feel like I experienced that same thing. Now mm-hmm. I was you know so many you know areas removed from him, so like I never spoke to him, but I can I can f- understand those people's mm-hmm. like reluctancy to accept what he was saying. Because they view it as like, just like as a, as you said, they said like, you are helping them, not helping us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're making them feel good about their choices, but what are you doing for us? Is that right or wrong? Not really the point that I'm making, but I can see why they were put off against it. Yeah. Now, it should I should say as as like a quantifier that one of those three guys ended up reconciling with him in a separate video. So you. Oh, find okay. it enough. We can, I can send you both. Yeah, send me links yeah. of this stuff. But so it's like in the later stuff. one, him and one of the really adamant, adamant protesters spent some time together and they basically like came to terms. He's like, you know what? There's a certain amount of like misunderstanding here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the other two guys, I don't know about them. Right. But 
And I think I think that's normal because if I mean like how I perceived it, yeah, that's might have been what they thought. Who knows what they actually thought? But I perceived that he was buying into them, and that's how they were like. Well, not all black people are bad. He thinks the way we do. You know what I mean? Almost like a that Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. Cliff, uh, what is it, Clifton, <laughs> uh, Clayton Bigsby, Clayton the Bigsby, black white yeah. supremacist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, just for some reflection on that, when I tell people that I used to not like, not that I didn't like Dave Chappelle, but I didn't like the Chappelle Show, mm-hmm. that was a skit that I said I don't like this. <laughs> I didn't find that funny. It's funny, Daryl Davis says the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, cool. So I wasn't the only one who thought that. I was just like, I get the humor in it. Like, it's I when get, you're too close to it. You, yeah, you I was, just, see I was like, funny. this isn't something that I feel like we should be laughing at. But obviously there's humor in it. But, I mean, so that that was just my own thing. And I was like, I don't like the Chappelle show for that reason. Just didn't like it. I was like, I'm not okay with that. But that was what it was. And then, you know, now Dave Chappelle is amazing that 846 he came out with Oof. We need, was, we're gonna have please unpack this as much as we want to because yeah. <laughs> i think i think that's like if you had like a time capsule of 2020 that should be in like seriously yeah it, it really captures the like thing go out of the essence yeah i wasn't this. ready for the like emotion the raw emotion that he was letting out i was just like oh this is a side of him i never seen before you know what I mean? It was like, less comedy and more of him kind of just... It wasn't comedy at all. Yeah. Having almost like a a town hall meeting of him just kind of coming on stage and saying, like, all right, bitches, here's how I see it. <laughs> yeah. You know, in his voice. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and really what it is to me is it shows that Dave, and why I think he's one of the best comedians alive, is if not, actually, I think he's the best comedian yeah. alive, is that he, I think that that is the beginning of what becomes a comedy special for him. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's trying to make jokes. Yeah. I think that he's naturally funny in some sense. Yeah. But he has things he's trying to understand that he then distills into comedy. Yeah, he makes it accessible to more people. Right, and so what you see is, like, the raw material. Like the resource itself, it's a slab of marble uncarved, and this is what it is. And eventually, that can be carved down into something gorgeous and beautiful, and in his case, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, but it takes time, and I think that makes him a philosopher. I think mm. that good comedians are philosophers, they're phenomenologists, they're trying to figure out what it is to be human. And even more, maybe sociologists. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're experts in many different domains. Right. They're trying to figure <laughs> out the truth. Right. I mean, it's interesting to me because watching that, it, I, I was looking at his body language a lot of times. And it was like he was all at once kind of at a loss for words. And really fidgety, too. Yeah. And like his, his take on it where he had his notebook. Like he had some ideas on stage. And he wasn't sure how to start. For sure. Yeah. And my thought there was that he he hadn't been writing at all, really. Like, he, maybe he was, like, jotting down notes, but he was just kind of, like, letting the shit unfold yeah. of COVID and then just throwing this, this George Floyd murder on top of it and just totally turns it up to... I don't even know what your fuck number you want to turn it up to at this point. But it's just insane. Yeah, yeah like, it's just insane. Like, no one could ever write this story. Yeah. And... So for him, I think he was just kind of just saying 
all the emotions and he obviously did some research to make a cohesive story around what he was seeing but it was it was so raw to me to to just see people like him to be honest about the situation and i i mean i wouldn't expect anything less from dave Chappelle because yeah, he's not yeah. been nothing but honest but yeah it, brutally yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> right like but i think in this world the reason someone like Chappelle and even Rogan, like Rogan has said this on his podcast that he's not writing right now either. He's just letting it take its course. And then once things open back up, then he'll start writing again. Yeah. But I think, I think it goes to show that in these times where on one end of the, the, the spectrum, our politicians and our, our people in, in the, in the institutions are rushing to get information out to people and make sure they're well-informed and make sure they know what to do. And, how to do things and then you get memes like the I don't know shit about fuck in regards to CDC and <laughs> WHO maybe it's time for thoughtful experience and maybe just saying instead of pretending like you know the right next course but just say here's how we see it we're going to keep monitoring the situation and once we know more then we'll give you the right guidance but we don't want to you know jump the gun and give you a false direction, you know, like, or just be honest and say, okay, I think right now we have to just cut our losses and closing the country seems like the safest option for the long term. Because if we don't take this serious, then what happens in six months from now and we're overrun and this is, you know, the economic impact is 10 times worse than it could have been, mm-hmm. you know, cause you only get one shot at this. I'm sorry. <laughs> like We don't get to roll back the clock and say, let's run that experiment again. Yeah. Let's not do that, please. <laughs> and and so that's kind of why I think a person like Chappelle is a sense maker, like Joe was saying, a philosopher, because we need more voices that just tell it like it is and don't sugarcoat it and, and pat us on the head as what it feels like from our institutions that say, oh, you're too, you're not going to be able to get the truth because yeah. we're, we're all in this together. And, and for me, it's really, there's a certain, there's a certain thing thing that I think is happening with people like Chappelle and why I actually found it really interesting, fascinating, almost empowering, um, even for myself, who I, you almost assume that I'm outside of the people <laughs> to whom he is trying to empower. But at the same time, when I watched that, it was, it was so, now, it was so honest, but it was Emotions are really bad ways of finding out the truth because they're so broad. They're Mm. such a lower system. They're so unspecialized that all they can do is kind of say something is wrong in this corner of the map. It just says somewhere between north and east, anywhere in that 90 degree angle, there's a problem. doesn't tell you where. It just says this this quarter of the map, something's <laughs> fucked up. It's like if you went to the doctor and they were like, so what hurts? The lower half. <laughs> like the whole thing? No, but you know, can you point me? Nah. <laughs> it's like, this doesn't help. <laughs> so, I mean, it helps generally. It moves you in the right direction. Yeah. But it's not a specialized system. But what I think we've been doing as a society is that we're expressing the emotions performatively. Oh. We're angry. 
on Facebook about all these things. Oh my God. And then it's not, it's not honest emotion because it's emotion stirred up to provide force behind our thoughts. And we have these, you can rationalize anything in the world. I can come up with a rational argument for literally anything, anything. Yeah. I mean, I can be like, there's a giant purple elephant in the room right now. I can say that. And you guys can be like, you're full of shit. Be like, listen, all reality is subjective. What I see is true is subjectively true. And so when you argue against me, you're imposing your, your views on me. And how am I to know at all in the first place that uh, what you say is any more true than what I say? And so there's a purple elephant. See how bullshit that was? I can literally come up with anything in the fucking world to rationalize what I'm doing. So what I think we've been doing is we have these insane rationalizations for everything that's happening spewed everywhere. And the emotions that we've had are emotions manufactured to provide mode of force behind our bullshit rationalizations. And the reason I'm refreshed by Dave Chappelle is because he goes, I don't know what to rationally think about this. I haven't gotten to that point yet. I'll get to that point when I make a comedy special. But you know what? Right now, I'm going to be honest in my emotion. And so he says something real. Yeah. And it might not be true. It might not be factually correct in every instance. But the reaction is sincere. Yes. And when you take people into therapy, if you have a couple, if you have couples therapy of people, if they're just rationalizing the whole time, you'll never get anywhere. You need them to be honestly emotional, sincerely emotional. This hurts me, and I know it doesn't make any sense that this hurts me, but I'm going to tell you that it hurts me. I'm going to tell you why maybe I think that it does. Yeah. And then we'll get to the problem. But the fact that we haven't been willing to speak honestly emotionally, I think is fucking insane. Mm -hmm. And that the reason I loved that Dave Chappelle piece is because it was sincere, honest, emotional. Yeah. Like one of the things that really hit me in that video was when he, when he kind of called out all of the people making videos that are like famous people and, or writers asking like, where are the celebrities now? Where are they now when all this is going down? And, and he gave his honest opinion, which some people are not going to like, but he said, I don't need to talk because right now the streets are talking for themselves. I think he was a hundred percent spot on. I, I, I I'm agree. I can see where people don't like it, but I think, I think he's right. I think he's really right about that because that's what a protest is for. That's everybody coming together and saying, this is fucked up. It needs to be better. Yep. You know, it's calling to attention. It's like having a, a wound of some sort and say, there's something wrong here and I need treatment. Yeah. I think it's, I think this is why I value art and mm -hmm. all any, in any medium so yeah. highly because it's, it can be and why I have such a high standard and why I'm like, mm -hmm. don't put out bullshit because it's not about that. No, you can have your fun. That's fine. You know what I mean? Fun but, is different than bullshit. Right, <laughs> right exactly. But you're you're speaking for the unspoken, you know, mm -hmm. in a lot of these mediums. So I think what he was saying is like, I can say these things, but as of right now, people are already saying them. People are saying the same things that I'd be saying. Now, he obviously is a comedian, so he'd be saying it differently, but... He's saying that the streets are talking. How do I add to that? I don't need to be the voice for them. You know? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm like, 
I 100% agree. And, you know, people are coming at whoever. Like, you know, people have been talking saying stuff about Kendrick Lamar and stuff because he hasn't tweeted or stuff like that. And I'm like, hmm. what is he? He made an album about the shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like what was it? That was the one they did on Dissect, right? Uh, to Pimp a Butterfly, yeah. yeah. It was, I don't know if they did Damn and To Pimp a Butterfly, but I know they did one one of them. But I'm like, he made a whole like 16 or so song album about the situation. And you're saying, Hey, why are you not talking? He did already. You know what I mean? But hmm. what, what does he need to say right now? Mm-hmm. Like, is that the point? Is that who's, who we should be focusing on? And I get it because you look at these people and they're like, might be your heroes or your icons and stuff. And you're looking for guidance maybe. And like, well, what do they have to say about this? So I understand it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, maybe this is time for you to speak up for yourself. You know what I mean? And be honest be emotionally honest about the situation and say like, this is how I feel now. Let's get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good because I feel like with that, what you were saying, I feel like a lot of people have been emotionally honest, but a lot of people and most of the people who can, who, you know, these people were calling out to listen, were choosing not to. And they were saying, well, I don't want to listen to you being emotionally honest because that goes against whatever it is that I think. So I'm not going to listen to that. You're yeah. being irrational or that's not what it is. Here's my facts to debunk whatever it is you're saying. I'm not listening to that. That's bullshit. And but now, all, yeah, sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say now you have more people saying, let me hear you. And I think that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. I think that's happening. And I think that part of why what you're describing was previously happening is almost like everybody in this house was like constantly making these rationalizations about so, the other side. Right. And so <laughs> now when when the quiet one in the corner says something emotionally honest, sincere, everybody is so on guard that they go, Well, here's my and then they immediately start rationalizing. And they're just assuming that the other one is. But it's almost like everything came to such a standstill right before this everything kind of went quiet people kind of shut up (laughs) and they were just like i don't know this pandemic is crazy (laughs) like everything ended yeah and so what i see is happening is that because everything came to a halt people could process the things that were getting in the way of having an honest conversation all that information that was cluttering in their minds, all that white noise was filtered out slowly, like just drained from the system until we had calm water. And then this kicked off and there was still enough time and space and openness that people went, oh, shit. And so when the person who was being sincere emotionally spoke – Now, all the clutter that was forming the defensive wall for these people who otherwise would not have heard them was gone. They heard them. And now for the first time, I think – I literally think this this might be a decade in the making, at least since I got out of the Marine Corps. I think really this moment for the first time in a long time, everyone is kind of on the same page and really going – Wow, 
Most people. You still have people who are Yeah, like, you're, yeah. But that's with anything. <laughs> yeah, you're still the assholes. Yeah. There's always going to be those people. Yeah. But it's like all the people who are, I would say this, all the people who are well-intentioned but to- totally unable to hear each other are at the point where they can hear each other now. Yeah. I think I think I said that I think we were texting one time and I mentioned yeah a similar thing and I was like there's so like people don't have their escapes they can't be like yeah well I don't yeah I don't want to talk about that I'm gonna go to the bar you can't yep. you're stuck at home you have to listen you know what I mean like, <laughs> like, we don't have an option right now and then they say holy shit is that I get it and it's like yep. a light switch and maybe you know think. God for COVID, that sounds so weird. <laughs> in a way, in a way, like you have to, because I feel like it, like you're saying, it forced people to listen. And I don't know. It. This is a weird thought I've had, but I, I feel like I've been saying this since, since Black Lives Matter jumped off. Like I've been saying that, and I feel like a long time ago is a lot of things where people were like, mm-hmm. like so, just like nope, nope, doesn't make sense. And I'm like, it does if you just really strip it down and realize what is really trying to be said. Like take emotion out of it you know what i mean and just view it for what it is and it makes sense and people were just nope 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 whatever it is what it is you know when life is going good it's easy to hand wave things away exactly and i don't think those people are necessarily coming from a bad place not some yes most probably not it was just like a it was like you're talking past each other. It's like you're saying the same thing, but they didn't like how you were saying it. You know I mean? Like if <laughs> you're going to, to the North Star and someone's coming from East and you're coming from West and you're like, well, fuck the West. We're coming from this way. And you're like, well, we're going to the same place, dude. <laughs> like Jesus. But yeah. I think that's what most of those conversations were. But where we're at now and why I think this is going to be one of those moments that we'll look back on decades from now mm-hmm. and say there was a monumental change is because now there's people joining the conversation that are coming from the West or East or yeah. whatever. And yeah. I think that's, what's important. And re- I mean, I think just the blunt part of that is like you have, you know, you have Caucasian Americans now saying like, can look at people and they might've been someone who was in opposition mm-hmm. but now they're looking at it in a sense of being like oh no i get it and now they're speaking to people who someone like myself may not have been able to reach mm-hmm. and so yeah. i feel like the conversation is spreading and it may not get there the same way right but again we're still going to the north star yeah you yeah know what i mean absolutely and, and it's, it's cool because it's like we've converged on something right yeah. and and i don't think that that converging was political i think that it was moral Yep. No, it that, absolutely is moral. That what 100%. happened was because, again, we made all the space for people to who may otherwise have been like, I'm not watching the video. I'll just comment on this shit without having seen it. Yeah. But that when you watch it, when you really watch it, I think it's not even a question of good or bad. It's it's evil. Yeah. And our culture has been trying to figure out what the hell evil even is. Like, what's good or bad? I don't know anymore. Yeah, we were so removed from the atrocities of our times that... that you could talk about Hitler, but, like... Yeah, right, but you but, could call other people, they're, like, Hitler. Right, and Hitler just became, like, a slur. It didn't even... <laughs> it wasn't even, like, a real thing anymore. And people who were making... And this is the thing. The people that were using it as a slur had no real conception of what violence was. No. Of what to witness something like that really was. And but you go, I think about so it, there, in 2018 there was a there's two a handful I think it was a couple cyclists 
who wanted to go from Europe and bicycle down to the Middle East and then make their way back into Europe or something. And they did this, and they were warned not to go into the Middle East during this time. They're, do not do it. It is dangerous. And they publicly said that evil is just a conception that we have made to paint onto other people that we don't understand. And on their trip, they got into Tajikistan, and a handful of dudes who had pledged allegiance to ISIS saw them, ran them down, and stabbed them to death. What the hell? Jesus Christ. And our culture has been so confused. So it's like, there's the question. Were they right? Were they just stabbed to death because somebody else has a different opinion? Or is there really evil? Is there really evil? Or is it all just a difference of opinions? But I think that when we watch Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd, that's evil. And I think that we kind of all felt it. And that the reason that I think that is because he had every opportunity, every fucking opportunity, every option in the world afforded to him. He had every to call to humanity spoken literally, by George. And literally other <laughs> humans standing around telling him what he's doing yeah. and what is happening and why you shouldn't do this. Every option, every single possible thing, every single barrier that you could imagine erecting as a rationalization for his behavior was knocked down in that moment. And all that was left was the murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Why? What was Derek Chauvin aiming at? Death. Because if he's trying to submit a person who was maybe not uh, behaving perfectly or whatever in front of a cop, Maybe even maybe even this guy could have been rough about it, whatever. But he had the option not to do that. He had the option to, he already had subdued him. That had already been done. If he didn't know, if he was ignorant, he had multiple people telling him what he was doing. He's filmed from multiple angles by people on the street. Who were telling him throughout the whole video. There was one guy, if I remember this correctly, who was like, I went to the academy. What you're doing isn't okay. Holy crap. <laughs> was I it never... his training that did that? It wasn't he was falling on training. That doesn't wash. Every single possible rationalization you ever could have come up with doesn't wash. And what you have is the murder of someone. I'd say that indicates that the murder was the point. It has to be. There's no other, there's no other way you can rationalize this, this and action. And that, I think that... That's what evil is. Evil is aiming at death. The antithesis of life. Aiming at death. That's evil. Derek Chauvin is evil. And I think that everyone and all of our, well, rationalizations, I don't know, does evil really exist? What is this? Can we convene on any moral truths? Is anything really, is anything true at all? I don't understand anymore. We all had a moment that was so self-evidently evil we went, oh, fuck. Yeah. And the thing about it, and I guess it's kind of me being devil's advocate. Kind of. Not really. Mm -hmm. But since this wasn't a, a situation in a vacuum, like this wasn't the first time right. something like this has happened, yeah. where I can say, well, is this evil because of a difference of opinions or ignorance or whatever mm -hmm. you, you want to put it at, where it's you have this hate for 
you know, people who are different than you. And you can look at it in the sense of like, well, my evil is justified. You know what I mean? Where he can do something yeah. like that. And I think it's such it's so many layers to this, but I feel like he in his head, why Derek Shelvin and many other cops who use excessive force where it's like, what are you doing? And people are telling them, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where there's a guy who says, hey, I have a gun. I'm going to reach and show you my license. And he gets shot. And it's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You have this because there's a mentality there that says, I'll probably get away with it. I'll I, probably be okay. And I don't think it's a conscious thing. I don't, maybe it is, but I don't think it's necessarily something that's like, I will kneel on your neck for eight, yeah. almost nine minutes yeah. and you will die and I'll be fine. I think it's this like regurgitated idea. And if you read about the history of where law enforcement even came from, then it kind of makes it make a lot more sense. And I don't, that's not like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not, it's, look it up, it's <laughs> fucked up. I didn't know this until recently and someone sent me this article and I was like, that's fucked up. But you have this kind of subconscious thing where it's like this badge right here absolves me of any wrongs that I can ever do because I'm a cop and my job is hard. So chances are I'll be okay. So I'm going to kneel on your neck and it'll be fine. And I think that that we're actually in really good agreement here because I think that the evil in Derek Chauvin was allowed. Yeah, it was facilitated yeah. because of the badge. Like I've said multiple times that what I think – I mean it's, it's apt that you wrote the article recently. People are only <laughs> as good as their environment facilitates in that – he could have been. You've been saying that for years. Yes, said that a long time ago. Yeah, but now <laughs> it's playing out. It's almost like I was right. <laughs> but it's you've given him a person like that whose aim is death, the freedom to Act express to express that aim by insulating. And protecting him. And so that indicates two things to me. One is in the system, you need to, and I don't like the, I don't actually like the word the system because it's too vague. Mm-hmm. People just say, oh, the system did it, man. <laughs> it starts it's like too ambiguous. Right. <laughs> but it's like within the specific regulations of these precincts or the laws in these states, there needs to be a change. So those cops can be held accountable so that most of the good cops are just going to continue to obey the rules and they'll even maybe even go out of the way, be decent for the rules, like be more than the rules demand. Mm -hmm. But you need to put obstacles in the way of the people who are aiming at evil shit. And one of the ways you do that is don't give them the protections because when they think they can do it, they will because that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. It's like, it's what do you do when nobody's looking? That's the ultimate litmus That's test. how you know. That's where you know how some, how good or bad someone will be. It's when no one else is around, do you fudge the numbers or don't you? Yeah. I mean, it's as, it's as simple as that. We, we've we dealt at my work, we've heard horror stories of labs that run tests and they run the same tests all the time. They find out after the fact that years worth of data has been fabricated 
Is it the problem with the lab? No. It's the problem of the people that were given that test. That shit is boring and, you know, repetitive. So they get bored and they're like, well, I'm just going to fill out this paperwork. They're not going to check me anyways. But then and it shoots the entire credibility of that institution down the drain. Yeah. One person can do so much damage. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. But it's like, well, that's part two, right? right? Yeah, it is part, part two. two. Part one was that you need to fix the regulation system that, that confines the misbehaviors of those within the system. Yeah, that's what, that's what right. I was trying to get with the normative errors. It's like, how do you control these people so that they're not allowed to overstep the bounds in which they're given? And part two is that every person needs to recognize that same fact about themselves. Mm-hmm. It's psychological. It's, oh, if I have this anger, right? If you recognize yourself as being angry, if, you're, if you have the courage to let yourself recognize that you're angry about something. So long as that emotion persists, if the environment gives you the opportunity to express that ever-present anger, you should assume it's going to happen. And it might happen when it's really, really inappropriate. Like, not good. Yeah. I thought that another kind of truism that I've held on to is just that if somebody's reaction is disproportionate to the situation, it's not about the situation, mm. right? Like if I have a family member who's really angry about us being late to dinner, right? Like really angry. It's not about dinner. It's not about being late to dinner, man. <laughs> <laughs> Something else is being held onto there. Yeah. And that will just keep playing out time and time and time again. So us, all of us, everyone... Every person who's literally breathing needs to have enough awareness to note where they are emotionally in any given situation and have the courage to do what they need to do to deal with it before the environment shifts to allow them to express it in a context that it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably one of the best places to start wrapping this up on, quite literally, because I I, I went into this COVID-19 environment thinking about it as almost like Aristotle's The Cave, or is that Plato? I, I think it was Plato. Plato is The Cave, where, where this was a time for me personally to go into my cave, almost literally, and, and think about what the next five, 10 years might look like for myself and broader scope humanity. And because I really felt, feel like this is a, a moment in history that will never be repeated or hopefully never be repeated or at least just with COVID. Hopefully the conditions yes. under which something like this can happen don't happen again. Yes. And, and one of the mantras that I kept thinking about was like, the year is 2025 and what has changed? How did we make a better society than it was in the preceding decade or in the five years since COVID has, you know, restructured our entire society? And what did we do, you know, to usher in that new thing? And I think in this case with 
the murder of George Floyd. It's it's another one of those things that's going to add on top of the post-COVID era to be to ask ourselves really and and truly what does it mean to be a part of a good society and what is my part in that? Because it's easy to absolve yourself of of impact on a system as large as the United States and then the world, but a society is as good as its people. And we're all a part of it, whether we realize it or not. And so how you show up impacts the rest of us. And at the very least, how you show up in fact impacts your friends and family. The people you should be caring about the most at how well you show up. So every step, every <laughs> step we make is about to matter. Does matter. It's it always has and it, it now it just shows how much power we can have. I mean, Jordan, you went to the protest, you started this with saying how powerful it was. Yeah. And uh, we all have a voice. And the internet allows us to have a voice, and it's our job to have the awareness to articulate our voice well enough. And and what I love, sorry, Go, no, what you're I good. love is that now we are broadcasting our own news. We're not relying on these stations that you know are entertainment, really. At the are end of the day, continuing to rationalize. Yeah, we're saying no. We are going to tell you what's going on. You know, so that's why I'm like. <laughs> I've always, you know, I've had this like love hate thing with Facebook because I'm like, <laughs> it's su- like it's su- like when yeah. you try to talk to people. Like I feel like we've had this. Like Joe yeah. and I have had this where we talk past each other. Oh yeah, yeah. And then oh, we yeah. talk and then we're like, oh okay. Did this happen <laughs> every every time? Yeah. Me, every yeah. time me and you have some dumb yeah. disagreement on Facebook. This will even come to mind while it's happening. Like we're just gonna talk in person, and, then it's and like, we're just gonna literally be on the same page. Yeah, like exactly what happened right now. Right. <laughs> always like oh. Okay, so for that reason, <laughs> I hate Facebook because it's annoying. But then, on the other hand, I'm like, it's necessary because if you t- if you take away all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and all of the stuff that's been documented, one, most of us would have never even seen it. Right. Well, that's that's the I think that, I it. think that's the 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 power of what this is. Right. It's it's not. Oh, it was it was George Floyd. This happened to. This was, this is the one that got filmed. Yep. Right? So it's like, if this is one time, that means it's able to happen 10,000 oh, yeah. times mm-hmm. or more. And how long has it been being perpetuated, right? That's that's where I think why it's so, like, heinous and just makes people angry, mm-hmm. furious. <laughs> because it's, it's just... Yeah, and I am, and this should make everyone furious. That's what I don't get. When people look at it and can say whatever they say, right. I don't want to get too far into that. Right, but it's it's misses the point. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, how does that not piss you off? If you just think like that was my father or my brother or whoever it is mm-hmm. relative to you, right? How does that not make you like? How do I don't when I watch that video, like I just feel like there was like, yeah, like a like a like a fire that just built, and I was like, <laughs> that's evil like it's just pure evil for this for what for what yeah it doesn't solve anything right why and i and i think the answer to like we all watch it everyone with a conscience or decency watches and goes why 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 and i think the answer is that the point was to kill that's the point and that's that is what evil is 
that's what evil is. Yeah. Is that you're, it, it, it jokes. It's just like, I don't care about your why. <laughs> like, this is why. It's, it's just he has control. It's like, I can. Yeah. yeah. It's gross. It well, I think this was a great conversation to have. Yeah. And I think to try and make sense of this chaos, I... I'm not probably the only one, especially with you guys here, that I definitely lost sleep last week trying to just unpack the situation because, like, what you said, Jordan, is, like, this is not something that just happens in a vacuum, you know, and just to kind of unpack the the shameful legacy that we hold in this country that is is and was slavery, which is a definite conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. But I, I've spent a lot of time just unpacking that and will continue to do so because it's, like, what Brian Stephen had said is in this country, we, we don't try to reconcile our past. We try to hide it. Whereas like if you go to Germany and you can find bricks in the street from Jews that lived at those places during that period of time from World War II as to pay homage to those people. And I want to do my part to pay respects to people that lived in this country before me, you know, and not having to keep those scars open. <laughs> we need to get past it. We really do. I appreciate you, brothers. Love yeah. you guys. <laughs> love you. Love you. Much love. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Feeding Curiosity. I hope you all learned something or at least got you thinking. If you want to dive in deeper, please head over to feedingcuriosity.net to find related links or just more podcasts and blogs that we posted there. On top of this, please consider subscribing to our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest happenings on the website. Thank you all for joining me one more time, and we'll catch you all in the next episode. 